Let's get into our Bible study. The judgment. How do you how, how do you like being judged? Do you like do you like people like no, when when you not feel at judged? All. It's like they're trying to find fault. Do you That's... often feel like you're judged, or just like on the rarest of occasions, or somewhere in between? You know, I think it's more in my head. Like I'm thinking that people are judging me uh-huh. more than they're actually saying anything. Uh-huh. So it's probably just me judging myself through <laughs> you judging that other you are such a judgmental person you are judging that other people are judging you no i shouldn't say that that was a tolerable thing to say uh, i think i think you know most of the time when we feel like we're being judged it's kind of not actually the case hmm. and we have to remind ourselves that we're not being judged and remind ourselves that if we are being judged that the majority of people are judging us in a positive light one of the things that I know I struggled with when my children were young was disciplining my children in the supermarket. Oh. Because there is, you think about this one. Okay, Joelle, this is all ahead of you. So this is, this is what, what... I need advice. This is, what's, this is what is in your, in your future at some point is kids are incredibly intelligent mm-hmm. and they very quickly learn that they can get away with things in the supermarket <laughs> that they can't get away with at home. And the reason is that you really don't want to discipline your kids in the supermarket in front of everybody else. And the way it kind of works is if your kids act up in the supermarket and you do nothing, mm-hmm. half the people walking past are going to judge you like, what a terrible parent, they're not doing anything about it. So then your alternative is that your kids act up in the supermarket and you do something. You discipline your children. Half the people walking past are going, what a terrible parent, fancy doing that to his child. <laughs> and there's just win. A, there's a Either no way. win. There is a no win situation, and the long and the short of it is that you've just got to do what's right because it is right, and leave the consequences with God. Mm-mm. That's all we can do. But it's never fun to be judged. But the Bible says a lot about the judgment, and when the Bible says a lot about the judgment, uh, a lot of Christians kind of ask why? Why does why does the judgment even exist? Mm-hmm. Does God already know who's saved and who's lost? Yes, if he knows everything. Does he need to have records and to go through those records to discover who's saved and who's lost? No. No? And yet he does. And yet he does. And yet he does. So why is this the case? We're going to explore a few different aspects of this this morning. But where will I start? I think think I'll start with something that I learned this week okay, that I never knew before. And that is the role of a judge. Okay, so Joelle, if you ever do something, have you, you've, you've never been before a judge, have you? No. I, I already know this. I can just look <laughs> at Joelle and it's like, she has never done anything wrong. She has never been before a judge. I have been before a judge. And it was a bit of a sad day because the judge found me guilty. And I lost my license. Aww. <laughs> it was very sad. Uh, I didn't need to go before the judge. I could have uh, just, you know, lost my license. But I'm like, no, I'm going to fight this. And then I lost. Uh, however, the role of a judge, let's talk about the role of a judge. What is the role of a judge here in Australia or in, uh, you've lived in a number of different countries. What is the role of a judge these days? What usually comes to mind is that they're going to pass punishment yes on someone and in my case they asked me to walk to the front 
and hand my license to them. So I walked to the front and I handed my license to them and they took a pair of scissors and cut it in half and <gasps> handed it back. What? <laughs> yes. Oh, <I'm> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty. That was a bit rough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, and I had no way of uh, had to catch the train home. But anyway, that's kind of how it goes. Um, <clears throat> did I deserve that? Yeah, I probably did. I probably did. Um, so that's kind of how we look at the role of a judge, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so this is what I learned today, and somebody pointed out to me something I had never seen before. We have a book in the Bible, an entire book that is all about judges. Mm-hmm. And if you read that book, you're going to find that the role of those judges was quite different. To the present day. To the present day okay. view that we have of a judge. And so if you take... Samson, for instance, what was his role to defend Israel against the the Philistines? If you take Gideon, what was his role? I think it was the Moabites or the Edomites, one of the two, that he defended Israel against. If you take Jephthah or Deborah, Deborah is a great judge. Mm-hmm. Deborah defended Israel against the Syrians. Deborah is actually one of my favorite stories, and I'll tell you why. For a history buff like myself, the study of history is often the study of warfare and battles. In fact, that's how the study of history has often been described. It's the study of warfare. There are obviously different kinds of warfare. There's physical warfare, economic warfare, etc., 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 religious warfare, and so forth. But uh, in many ways, that's, that's what history is. The greatest strategic move known to history in military warfare is the Battle of Canaia. Mm-hmm. And it was fought by Hannibal against the Roman Republic. And everybody talks about the Battle of Canaia as the archetypal um, example of a battle of annihilation and a battle plan and a strategy that works Flawlessly. And so military strategists have been teaching the Battle of Kanea in, you know, officer training for centuries. But Hannibal did not invent the strategy used at the Battle of Kanea. Deborah did at the Battle of Mount Tabor. Oh, really? She did. And... Uh, if you don't believe me, you can go and study that in your Bible. And the tactics that she used there, the strategy that she used, was a perfect example of the Battle of Canaia. It had exactly the same result. It was a it was a battle of annihilation, where the enemy was actually annihilated to the last man. And I got distracted talking about that. But the fact is that Deborah, as a judge, was a defender of God's people. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM positively different. And so during the period of the judges, what would often happen is that they would go for long periods when there was no judge and there would be kind of anarchy and every man would do what was right in his own eyes and they'd fall into all kinds of trouble and then a judge would arise. The Bible uses this term, you know, and then, and then such and such a person arose and judged Israel and the judge would bring them back to God and the judge would deliver them from their enemies. 
And so when you look at the ancient biblical role of a judge, it's a really different picture, isn't it?、Mm. So they're basically turning people back to God? Yes. Wow. And defending God's people. Defending God's people. These are、yeah. the people who would stand up in defense of God's、mm. people. So that's what a judge was. Wow. Which is really, really interesting when you look at, well, for instance, the three angels' messages that we were talking about yesterday, the everlasting gospel. And we talked about the first angel's message, which says, Fear God, that means to honor and respect God, turn away from evil, all of that, righteousness by faith.、Mm-hmm. Fear God, give glory to Him. Giving glory to God is how we live our lives. We live our lives to the glory of God so that people can see the glory of God in us. That's our lifestyle. That's living a Christian lifestyle. For the hour of his judgment is come. Present tense.、Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would say it sounds like celebratory language. Fear God and give glory to him. It sounds like something we're going to be celebrating. But why would you celebrate a judgment? Going to court. Yeah. Wouldn't you be kind of scared going to court? I'd be scared going to court whether I was guilty or not. <laughs> Obviously, not, I'm gonna, not going to be scared going into God's court, but you know, the whole concept of a judgment scene and a judge is a little bit scary. Yeah. But when the Bible says, fear God and give glory to Him, yes, it does have a celebratory ring to it because the judgment is taking place and the judgment is for the defense of. Of God's people. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7 and let's read some passages from Daniel chapter 7 about the judgment. And we will find that the role of a judge here is to defend God's people. That doesn't, you know, take away the other roles of a judge. I'm not saying this is the only role of a judge, but this is the ma- this is a major biblical theme right here. And this is something I knew, knew that I learned this week. A friend of mine who was a pastor was telling me he, that, was, that, he, that he was talking to a friend of his who was a pastor who was sharing this idea. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to use that. <laughs> All right, in Joel, verse,、uh, Daniel 7, verse 9 and 10. So it says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Okay, quite a spectacular、yeah. view. How would you like to be there for that event? Maybe a bit intimidating just with everything going on. Uh huh. Um, and again, with the books being open, it'll be interesting to see what exactly that is. Exactly.、Yeah. What kind of books do they have? I mean, books have taken many different forms through history, haven't they?、Yeah. Books started off as clay cylinders、mm. and stone reliefs, and then they turned into papyrus,、mm-hmm. and then they turned into leather, and then they turned into paper. And then they turned into zeros and ones. <laughs> Quite a transformation. What will books in heaven be like? I wonder. Yeah. Something to look forward to. Okay. All right. So the judgment, the, 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 court, has, the court is now in session. That's, that's where your verse finishes、mm-hmm. right there. Just previous to this, the Bible has been talking about the little horn, the Antichrist. And we spoke about the Antichrist yesterday. Mm hmm. 
Let's see what the Antichrist is responsible for in verse 21. So that's Daniel 7 and verse 21. And it says, I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Okay, now go down to verse 25. 25 says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Okay, so what's the little horn up to? He's changing things. He's changing things. Quite drastically. Yes. Um, who's he attacking? God's people. Okay, so he's attacking God's people. So a bit of a nasty character here. In fact, one of the, the most nasty characters in the Bible. The judgment sits, and what is the result of the judgment for God's people? Would you like to read for us? We've, we, we read verse 10, where the, the court was set, the books were opened, end of verse 10. Let's read verse 11. All right. What does the judgment do? So verse 11, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words, which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Okay, so what happens to the, uh, to the beast and the little horn right here? They're destroyed. They're destroyed. So is that good for God's people or bad for God's people? Good. That's very good for God's people. And this is what the Bible is showing. Mm-hmm. The Bible is showing that when God sits in judgment, God is standing up to defend, or sitting down, I should say, to defend God's people. It kind of sounds strange to sit down to defend. But he is acting in the role of the ancient judges of Israel who were defenders of God's people. And God's people would be terribly, terribly oppressed until somebody stood up as a judge. And then it was like, "Ah, a judge has arrived. Now we're going to get somebody to stand in our defense. And that's exactly what is taking place right here. Hmm. All right, now let's read verse 22. Can you read for us verse 22, please? All right, so we're still in chapter 7. So verse 22 says, Until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So judgment was made how in that verse? In favor of in the saints. In favor of the saints. Mm-hmm. So the judgment here, this is good news because this, this is the defense of God's people. Yeah. Okay, hold your finger there because we're going to come back to that and go over to the Gospel of John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And we're going to look at, uh, let me see here, verse 22. If you could read that one for us, please. Who is our judge? We've mentioned this a number of times here on Faith FM, but it needs to be reiterated. It's an important point. So John 5, verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. All right. So who is our judge then? Jesus. Jesus is our judge. Now go back to chapter 7. Read me the first verse or the first couple of lines, the first line of verse 9. All right. So verse 9 from chapter 7. First two lines. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. Okay, so notice that multiple thrones are put in place. Thrones, plural, right? Mm -hmm. And who sits? How many people sit so far? One. Who is that? The Ancient of Days or Jesus. Ah, that would not be Jesus. Ah. Yeah. 
Uh huh. Let me show you something. Now go down a few verses. Um, verse 13. If you could read for us verse 13. All right. So it says, I was watching in the ninth visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Uh, does All that right, answer your that question? Makes sense, yes. All right. Okay. So the Ancient of Days, who's that then? God the Father. God the Father. Thrones, plural, are set in place. Mm-hmm. The Ancient of Days comes and sits. The judgment is set, mm-hmm. it's in place. Mm-hmm. But no judgment happens until Jesus arrives because the work of judgment has been given to Jesus Christ. Right. So he's defending us before God the Father. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that's a way of looking at it. It kind of, it kind of, it kind of, um, it kind of has a, a feel to it of okay, so you've got God the Father there, who is our prosecutor, and Jesus, who is our defender. That's not actually the case. You have Jesus, who is our defender, and Satan, who is our prosecutor. He is the one who is accusing us, and that's actually what the word Satan means. It means the accuser. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We are talking about the judgment. And we have been looking how Jesus is our judge. He is our defense. We often look at that as a conflict here in Australia. In modern society, we would say if your judge is the same person who is defending you, then that's a conflict of interest and that is evidence of corruption. Hmm. If I went into a court system and the person who was Uh, the judge or the magistrate in that particular case was also the person whom I employed to defend me, that would not be allowed. Not at all. But this once again is giving us that picture that the biblical judge was somebody who stands up to defend God's people, and that's exactly what we see taking place right here. We need to talk a little bit about the purpose of the judgment. Okay, so if God already knows the end from the beginning, if he already knows who's saved and who's lost, why does God hold a judgment, Joel? I'm wondering the same thing. Okay. Let's think about this, and we've talked about this before, but it's something that needs to be talked about in some detail. And we need to remind ourselves as to why the judgment takes place and why the Bible has so much to say about the judgment. The judgment does not take place so that God can find out who is saved and who is lost. Mm -hmm. He already knows that. The judgment takes place because we and the rest of the universe do not know who's saved and who is lost. Okay. So can you sit up the back of your church, uh, Joel, and sort of make a, a list of, you know, wheat and tares, just draw a column down the middle and put a list on either side. You know, these ones are saved, those ones are lost. Can you do that? I can't. You can't? Do, why can't you do that? Because I don't know the secret things that people do, and you, I don't know their thoughts, their hearts, their relationship with God. Were you ever tempted to do that when you were a teenager? No, you weren't. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you're not that kind of person. Uh, I used to do terrible things when I was a teenager. But you can't do that. No. You can't sit in the back of the church and say, yep, lost, lost, lost. Oh, that one's saved. 
Like, we can't do that. We can't read what's in a person's heart. But there's a danger in even trying to do that because you're so focused on other people instead of focusing on your own salvation. Absolutely. The moment you start going down that path, guess what you are? Guess which column that places you in? <laughs> the lost column. Yeah. Right there. Automatically. This is not the character of Jesus Christ. This is not what we should be doing as Christians. That's a very good point. Okay. We can't do that. Okay, so then what happens, Joelle, if you get to heaven Mm -hmm. and your favorite Christian is not there? And when I say your favorite Christian, I'm talking about the person who you looked up to. Maybe you looked up to them your whole life. Yeah. Maybe you patterned your life after them to a certain extent as they patterned their life after Jesus Christ. What happens if you get there? And they're not there. I'd be shocked. And you would, I'd wouldn't want you? to know why. Like, how is that even possible? If their life seemed to represent God, why would they not be there? And then what happens if you go to God and God says, well, because they were lost. And that's his answer. That doesn't help me. Or what if God says, well, I looked at the books of record and they said he was lost. Still doesn't help. Still doesn't help, does it? No, not at all. What if God says, good question, here's the books of record, and hands you the books of record so that you can have a look for yourself? Mm, That makes a difference. That would make a very big difference, wouldn't it? Because now you're not serving God because you're afraid of him. Mm -hmm. You don't have any questions in your mind. There is no seed of doubt. And we've got to remember that what God is dealing with is not a 70-year lifespan or thereabouts. God's dealing with eternity. Yeah. And, yeah, okay, you might be able to uh, take a seat of doubt and sort of push it down into an obscure corner of your mind where it remains hidden for a 70-, 80-year lifespan. But try doing that for eternity. Hmm. It's not going to happen. And so God doesn't want to have any seed of doubt because he doesn't want sin ever to come back again. And so when God decides who's saved and who's lost... He does so in open court. Mm. Let's read what it says in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. Uh, verse 10, verse 10. We read verse 9 a moment ago. Um, thrones were set in place. The ancient days came and sat. And then verse 10. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Thank you. Okay. The Bible says here, thousand, thousands. That's actually an open-ended number. Hmm. In other words, when the judgment takes place, it takes place in open court before the assembled multitudes of the entire universe. Wow. Why? Because God is going to bring sin to an end, Mm -hmm. and in doing so, some people are going to be lost. And when those people are lost, he doesn't want there to be any surprises. Not only does he not want there to be any surprises, he also does not want there to be any doubts or any possibility of any doubts. And so this is why God holds the judgment in open court. Okay, let's go to, we've got time, yep, let's go to Matthew. Let's go to the book of Matthew. There's an interesting passage over here that we're going to look at. Ooh, where are we? Matthew 22. 
And we'll start reading. Start reading. Give me the first four verses. All right. So Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calf cattle are killed and all these are ready. Come to the wedding. And the food is getting cold. <laughs> He'd be a dis- bit disappointed, wouldn't he? Yeah. And he keeps sending them out and they keep just like, yeah, nah, they're refusing. So eventually he gives up. He's like, what am I going to do with this big banquet that I have right here? And so he, why didn't you read for his first nine and eight and nine? Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. And they filled the wedding up. And then in verse 11, what happens? But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Now, this is interesting. Hmm. This guy's in the wedding. The person who is putting the wedding on who symbolizes God in this instance, is the only one who can see that he's not wearing a wedding garment. What's clothing a symbol of in in the Bible? White robes. Righteousness. Righteousness. So you're either wearing righteousness or you're not. Mm -hmm. Now, none of the other guests can see that this person is not wearing a wedding garment. None of his servants could see that this person is not wearing a wedding garment. The... Bouncers at the door couldn't see that this servant was not wearing a wedding garment. And you find here that God comes in to see the guests. Mm -hmm. In other words, he's going to look them over. And he sees that this person doesn't have a wedding garment. Why does he see that? Because he sees what we cannot. Mm. And what you have here, when... When the father comes into the wedding to, for the purpose of seeing the guests, that's what, that's what the purpose is, that's a process of investigation. And that's what we call the investigative judgment. And that takes place so that sin will never, ever come back ever, ever again.